gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Well, as soon as Jack Grealish was made captain, the script was written. Him lifting the Championship trophy, getting his boyhood club to the Premier League. He will always be Aston Villa's Jack Grealish. Hello and welcome back to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. As always, it's me, Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FineFoy and I'm joined once again by Mark. What's going on, guys? Mark Jerebi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. Hope everybody's well. There's some uh, business to attend to today in the Aston Villa world. Yeah, well, uh, before we get into that, obviously, usually, before we get into the uh, the whole Villa business, we usually share something about, about the... the uh, I don't want to just call it a blog anymore because it's so much more than that, but we usually share something a bit under a gaslit lamp before we start. Um, for anyone that has record, uh, recorded, purchased um, one of our first batch of magazines, uh, they're being shipped this week, so expect to get those within the next two to three days if you're within the UK, um, and six to ten days if you're outside of the UK. Um, we don't currently have plans to print a second run of this, um, and if we do, it will be after the second volume is released. Um, but you know, if the interest is there, then you know we we may change our mind. But let's get into the villa stuff. Enough, enough about the magazine. Enough about enough about under a gaslit lamp. Um, I, I'm still buzzing from the the Leipzig result, Mark. Oh, I I am too. To be honest with you, I, I thought it was a, a really kind of it was a strange game, like in terms of seeing where we were at. Like the first ten minutes of the game, you can almost tell that the Villa players knew that they weren't playing Walsall. You know, it, it seemed like they were like, "Oh, okay, we got to make an actual like deal of this." You know, and that's that's no disrespect to any of the like quote unquote lesser clubs that we've played throughout the preseason. But the Leipz- Leipzig gave it to me was, I mean, that looked like how Villa are going to play if you know I'm looking at the more optimistic side of things for most of the season. Um, I, I don't know. What, what did you think about the game in general? Did you like the pattern of play? Did you like the energy everybody brought? I mean, what, what was some some things you looked out for? I mean, the the, the thing that I enjoyed the most was uh, how um, settled our defensive line looked. You know, um, there, there were times that, that Leipzig were playing crosses in or, you know, indirect free kicks into the box. And our defensive line was in, like, a perfect, perfect line. Um you know, there was no kind of mismatch to it, and that's something that's been our downfall recently. Um, you know, we've we've we, we've not really conceded many goals under Dean Smith in retrospect, but before that under Bruce, and at times under Smith, there's been almost like a little disconnect. You know, someone will step step out of the defensive line or whatever, and that you know that that really then messes up your offside trap or anything like that. So it was really nice to see that kind of um, that have been. I guess they've been practicing that in training, um, and I, I was I was impressed by that. I guess I was impressed by um, by the defense more than anything. Really, I think you know uh, we, we we picked up on it um, in our in our uh, complete preview before uh, before the game that. That they were going to be very hard, and it was going to be hard for uh, Jack, John, 
and Connor to to come up against their their kind of uh, circular press. Yeah, they're they're a good team, Leipzig. I mean, I I don't really watch much of, of the Bundesliga uh, in any kind of capacity. If there's a game on and I happen to be off that day, if it's a repeat, I'll, I'll watch a little bit of it. Um, I, they looked like a really interesting side to me. They looked like a really young side. They were able to spring passes from all over the place on the pitch. They seemed very collected. They were very cool and calm on the ball. Um, I agree with you. The, the defense looked really, really good. I mean, it was at times I think I got a little anxious or a little nervous because it kind of looked a little bend, don't break. But the Villa players never looked stressed out to the point where they were like privy to make a mistake or anything like that. And yeah, a goal came off Bjorn Ingles and whatnot through a deflection. But uh, I don't know. Villa just really looked like they were competent about what they needed to do against a side such as Leipzig. And that gives me promise for maybe playing some of the big mid to bigger tier teams in the Premier League this season. Um, it, like Again, I said it last podcast, there's going to be some growing pains. But I mean, if you really look at the Leipzig game, it's it's one of those things where the defense is going to have that kind of bend, not break mentality, I think, for a while. Maybe not mentality, but like they're going to show that a little bit. Um, and I'm all right with that. It's just the nervous feelings of, you know, we were going up a, uh, against a team that's, you know, pretty, pretty prominent in the Bundesliga and pretty prominent in the Champions League. Uh, so I, I think that the defense is going to look sorted, but there's going to be times where that's not always the case, but that's okay. That's, that, that's what, that's what it's like coming back up to the Premier League. I mean, yeah, the, the the thing for me, um, I guess, outside of the fact that you know that we we beat a a on paper better team and you know the the defense looking good, the thing for me is that Conor Horan really doesn't want to lose his place to marvelous Nakamura or Douglas Douglas Luiz. Um, you know, he he had a very good game and he showed how useful he can be from set pieces. Yeah, I don't I don't think that a lot of people were are understanding. I mean, Horan, we or sorry, Horan. I guess we have to say yeah, that, yeah, it's, that's going to mess me up, man. And I don't, I, I'm going to say it probably 60 or 70 times before I get it right. But with Harhan, um, I think that you heard a lot about it when we got promotion that he was told he wasn't good enough and then he had to work his way up through the leagues and now he's finally at the top of English football as far as league wise goes. Um, Harhan isn't going to go away. And I think Villa supporters need to understand that. And I know that he got a lot of gripe this past season when he wasn't necessarily playing well. The entire team wasn't necessarily playing well at that juncture. But I think that it's still his spot to lose. And I know that we have players like Marvelous Nakamba and Douglas Luiz, you know, coming in. And they're going to put a little bit of more pressure on Harahane. And he may not get the actual game time that people think he deserves. But he's making an honest-to-God go of it to make sure he keeps that shirt I think it's a beautiful thing I think that from set pieces he can't be ignored I think his passing statistics as far as completed passes to attempted passes is still really really big for Villa and I think that he has a chemistry with John McGinn and Jack Grealish that has to be talked about um but I don't know do you, do you think that with Louise coming in or maybe even the combo coming in that that Harhane, you know all of a sudden doesn't get as much game time. There's going to be rotation either way, but like, what do you think? Do you think Louise might take that spot from him? I think he's he's, he's nailed on to start against Spurs on Saturday. Um, other than that, you know, it, it really depends. Obviously, there's there's a bedding in period for Marvelous and Louise. Um, but but the, the thing for me is that I think that when we're not just going to see a settled first eleven at all this season. I don't think. I think our squad's so big that we're going to chop and change uh, depending on who we're facing. So, you know, we, we might be facing Norwich and you might see... Who, uh, I've got, I need to get you to send this. Howrihan, um, 
you know, we we might see Harrahan playing, um, and then we know if against uh, Arsenal we might see Louise playing uh, against Leicester we might see Nakamba playing. Each player has their their merits, and I think Smith will be using that for uh, you know for, well to uh, Villa's advantage. Yeah, I can agree with that. And for anybody listening wondering why we're saying Horahan's name so weird, there was actually a video series that came out this past week. I can't remember the outlet, Regan, you might remember it. But um yeah, people It was a uh, Five Live Sport. Right, yeah. So uh people have been um pronouncing his name wrong. It's not Horahan, it's more like Harahan, which is gonna be a little bit strange for everybody. Um but back to the matter at hand uh, as far as Harahan goes. I I just don't think that you can let a player like that go to waste sitting on the bench all the time. And yeah, I think you're right where, you know, we're going to get very different starting 11s depending on who we play. And I'm all right with that. I just think that like up against, you know, some of the teams that Villa may not be projected to get any kind of points from, I would want Harahane on the pitch just for the the little bit of, well, not little bit, a lot of bit of chemistry between uh, John McGinn and Jack Grealish. I, I, I don't know. They've been through so much together in such a short period of time. I don't think that you can really split that up. I think that's like the number one midfield pairing as of right now going into the season. But that's not to say that Nakamba or Luis can't come in and show what they have and show a, a little bit, you know, different gravy to what they can bring to, to a squad. Um, but yeah, I mean, Harhane's performance in Leipzig was great. I mean, he, he, you know, two two free kicks, and you know the second one came off a deflection, but it's still, an you know, unbelievable feat. You know, to have that coolness and calmness and be able to do that, and now we're seeing it on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, and I think um, I think the thing the thing for me is that he he wouldn't have been. I mean, I mentioned this in an, in an article uh, when he signed his contract extension um before we'd signed Luis and before we'd signed uh, Marvelous Nakamba. But um you know it's it's savvy from the club because yeah his game time will be reduced. Um you know he's not gonna hit the heights of the championship where he was you know appearing forty or so times across the season. Um but it keeps him happy. He's probably got a pay rise. He's um you know he's been told right you're gonna be used in within a rotation some games you'll be at defensive midfield some day games you'll be uh, more attacking um and you know he, he wouldn't have signed an extension if he wasn't happy with that you know it, it's not as if uh players um just sign a contract willy-nilly like you know here, here's 40 grand a week please sign they will go to their manager especially if they're already at the club and say how often am i going to play um, you know how likely am I going to be playing in my favoured position, etc., etc. And the, the, there will be promises made. You know, a player is not going to sign if they're not going to get what they want. Yeah, and that, that's a really good point, man. I, I really didn't even think about that. And you would think, as as much as I play football manager, I would know that you know whatever the status is in the squad makes a really big difference. And um, just thinking about that quickly, that does make more sense of his contract renewal and and to get you know more years on the contract. And I'm sure he sat down with Dean, and it's good to have you know under under that train of thought that he knows what his role is now and he he's aware of how much game time he's going to be i think that kind of transparency between the coaching staff and the players is absolutely paramount um you have to know what your role is and you have to know what's expected of you in terms of your production and in terms of your playing minutes so um yeah i i, I think higher is going to be 
pretty good for Villa going forward. Again, I don't think you're going to see anything like what he did in the championship the past couple seasons. But, I mean, he looked really good in Leipzig. But then again, the whole team as a whole looked really good in Leipzig. Yeah, I mean, someone I was really impressed with was Tom Heaton. Um, and, you know, it's it's an obvious statement to make. He, uh, you know, he made some three or four uh, absolute worldy saves. Um, but I was also quite happy with uh, Bjorn Engels and Tyrone Mings as a as a duo. Uh, we, we've coined them um, as Mingles. Um, obviously, you know, it's an amalgamation of their name. Um, but where I think I, I'm happy, I'm pretty sure you are for for that to be our uh, starting partnership for for Saturday. Yeah, I think it has to be. I, I think you know you have Mings who likes to push a little bit up the field, a little bit from his center back position, and, and sprays passes where he sees fit. We know by the percentage numbers of last season with Aston Villa that he can do that almost as a, at a coin flip. You know, it's it's about a, I think it's fifty two percent his long balls from his own half of the pitch forward. That's an incredible stat for a center back, especially one of Tyron Mings' size. Now you have Bjorn Ingles, who likes to stay a little bit back. He's a little bit more methodical, more tactically aware. I think it's a match made in heaven uh, as far as Aston Villa terms. I'm not saying in terms of world-beating football center back partnerships, but just for Aston Villa, this is going to work. I think that has to be your center back pairing going into the Spurs game. Um, I'm not making the claim that it's going to be that all season. We know how crazy things can be. We saw it last year with the nonsense of center backs that we had to use and makeshift center backs that we had to use. Uh, but I think Mingles is going to be a great partnership going forward. Yes, I'm on the Mingles train. I'm going to say it. No one can stop me. I know I know, I know. a couple people didn't like when we posted about it on Twitter, but I, I'm going to call it Mingles for the rest of the season, so be prepared for that. <laughs> um I also think that the only thing that splits this partnership up is pace. Uh, they're not either very pacey center backs, and sometimes that can get you in the trouble in the new look Premier League. Again, that you know we've only been out of the Premier League for four seasons. A lot has changed, especially um, you know forwards that like to press very very high up the field, um, and also they you know a lot of forwards and strikers like to sit in the hole you know, right in, right in between the flanks and they like to make runs. So um, I'm not saying that Tyrone Mings and Bjorn Ingles don't have the ability to run. I'm saying they don't have the ability to run very, very fast to get back. But that all comes down to being defensively responsible. And they got one of the best coaches in the business, you know, as far as defense and experience with John Terry. So, I mean, for my money, I, I think that's got to be the, the partnership. And that that's my case for it. What about you? Do you think that's that's pretty much stock, you know, for for the first game? Yeah, I would think that it is. And the, the, the thing that I, I need to kind of pin down in my, in my thoughts is who the uh, backup is. You know, is it is it Chester? Is it Conser? Is it, is it Hawes? Um, you know, we're not really sure on, on who can kind of fill in should one of them get injured. They're both relatively injury prone, which is an issue. Um, Conser's probably got the most game time so far this preseason, but you know it could it could be Chester and it could it could be Hawes. Yeah, and that's another interesting thing is that you know Villa brought in enough players that depth is now being regarded as something that you fight for competition places for. That's a great thing. I mean, you, you want that. Dean Smith talks about every single time and every time we signed a player this summer. Um, I think it's going to be Courtney Hawes. That's just my opinion. I don't. It's it's not a knock on Ezri Kansa. I just think that Kansa's, and I know the price tag was big for Kansa, but I do feel like he's one for a couple seasons down the line. 
Um, I think he'll be in and around the first team. I think you see him start in cup competitions, especially early on, if Villa decide to make a push and don't, you know, go off on a Burton again. Um, but I do really, really think that it's between Courtney Horace and Ezra Kansa. And, and again, no disrespect to, to James Chester, but he's he still has some things to work out. We brought in some new faces. Um, I don't think that he gets moved. I saw a couple of Villa fans this morning saying that James Chester might be on the move. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Villa's going to honor what he's done for this club, and he will be here until the end of his contract. Uh, and he might even get another contract, depending on how his knee keeps up. But, um, yeah, the comp- the uh, competition for places, and even in the backup roles and the rotational roles, that's that's such a cool thing. I, I would have never thought that was the case coming at, you know, at the beginning of last season with all the nonsense that went down with our defense. Yeah, while we're on the subject of defenders, if we were to make uh, Mingle's t-shirts respond to uh, the Twitter post announcing uh, this podcast, which will more than likely be Thursday morning, uh, now I'm saying it, with a thumbs up, if you'd like a Mingle's t-shirt, uh, and then we'll, 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 we'll talk about getting them printed. I would, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would love to have one of those. Uh, even if people don't want them, I think I'm going to make them just for me and you. <laughs> you. Might be the only ones with them, but we'll have them and we'll be looking fresh. Okay, that sounds good. Um, I'm trying to think where we go from here. Well, the the, the latest news to come to come out of the club is Scott Hogan um, has left on a season long loan, joining Stoke City. So he's dropped back down to the Championship. Um, firstly, he's not the only person to have gone out on loan. That, that could have been involved in the first team squad as Andre Green's gone back to the championship with uh, Preston Northend. Um, and uh, Rashawn Hepburn Murphy's joined them. Uh, he's gone off to, to Tramway Rovers. Uh, obviously, he made the headlines last, last weekend with uh, uh, something that should have been in the WWE rather than on, the, on a football pitch, but we won't discuss that any further. Um, but, you know... Where's it? Where's it gone wrong for Hogan, uh, in in regards to his time at Villa? You, why why has he been shipped out on loan again? I just think in the case of Scott Hogan that it was just wrong club, wrong manager, wrong time. Uh, brought him in from Brentwood or Brentford, sorry, under uh, Steve Bruce, and it was at that point in time that we were trying to hoof balls over the back of of uh, opposition's defensive lines and have Kaja run onto him. And that worked for a while, and that's old world football, and we knew that's how it was under Steve Bruce. And then we bring in a, a clinical finisher in Scott Hogan, but Scott Hogan was used to being a clinical finisher with getting, uh, you know, really, really precise through balls, you know, it, right, right at his feet, and he was finishing them off that way. Um, and then he came to the villa, and it just, he couldn't adapt to the way that Steve Bruce wanted to play his football at the time. Um, it's a shame, really. I, I think Scott Hogan is a decent footballer, but it's almost as if like the rest of the team has to buy into the way that he wants to play instead of the other way around. Um, it's my opinion that I like multifaceted strikers that can play in a variety of ways. It seems like Scott Hogan now, after watching you know him at the Villa and watching him on a couple of loan spells, um, he has one way of playing, and it, it's being on the hip of the last man, and it's looking for a pass, you know, past the player. He uses the a little bit of accelerational skills and gets past the man and, and puts the ball in the back of the net. Um, we actually saw it, you know, in, in a preseason match. You know, Wesley, you know, has the ball in a midfield area, turns around and hoofs the ball up over the head of, you know, you know, it was a 
decently flat ball. It had a little bit of height to it. Scott Hogan runs on it and scores the goal. Uh, you weren't going to see that at, at Aston Villa under Steve Bruce, and I think that his confidence just got so shattered because he was a pretty big money signing for Villa in the championship. I think his confidence just dipped lower and lower and lower and lower. Um, it's it, it's crazy to me though that Dean Smith's not giving him a chance, knowing that Dean Smith played, you know, is coached him at Brentford. I mean, do, do you think that's a little intriguing that he's not even willing to give him a chance? I think that our way of playing uh, relies on the wings so much that you know that he's going to see more balls in from from you know crosses rather than balls played to his feet or to the runs that he's making. So I I, I don't really see him fitting in with the, the style of play we're going to be going for. You know, Codger fits into it, Davis fits into it, Wesley fits into it, but Hogan kind of doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I can I can get with that, and that's like I said, it's just wrong, wrong club, wrong time, wrong player, wrong setup, and it's it's a shame for Scott. I mean, I, he he every interview I've seen from the guy, he seems like a really really nice person, and you know, it's it sometimes this happens. You know, this happens in every sport across the world. It's not only football where you know you get somewhere and you're you're coming off a little bit of success and it just doesn't come off for you, and it's not even a settling in thing. It's not like he moved countries or anything like that. I, I just think the style of play that we're playing, even from Steve Bruce in now in the Dean Smith, like you said, it doesn't. It's it's not gonna ever make him look like the player that the price tag we got for him was. If you know what I'm saying, it, it just and it's and I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe you know for Stoke City, maybe there's something in the loan agreement for a, for a buy clause, and Villa's gonna take a loss on it regardless. But you know that's the way it has to be. Sometimes I mean, I'm, I'm sure his wage isn't small. It'd probably be a good thing to get that wage off the books and. You know, maybe even Villa is, you know, telling Stoke they have to pay a percentage of his wage, you know, for this season. I don't think he gets recalled in January or anything. So, I mean, I don't know. Best of luck to Scott Hogan, though. It's it's a tough thing to go through for anybody, especially for, you know, a footballer. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the Stoke released uh, Bojan, who, who obviously like six, seven, eight years ago was touted as the next big thing after Lionel Messi coming out of uh, Barcelona. And, you know, he's just been released by Stoke City, which shows how far he's fallen uh, in retrospect. No disrespect to, to Stoke City. But, um, you know, that they needed a new striker. And Hogan Hogan should realistically, uh, you know, excel under Nathan Jones at Stoke. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I'd, and, you know, I mean, Stoke's had a little bit of problems as far as delivery to get anybody, any striker, really, the ball. Um, they kind of score it by committee sometimes, so... Um, I'm sure he'll have a fabulous time at Stoke. Championship is probably Scott Hogan's level. It's no disrespect to the man whatsoever. That is probably his level that he's that he's going to be able to really play in. I mean, he was even in uh, Sheffield United last season. Didn't do much. I mean, wasn't really afforded much much playing time and much you know meaningful minutes. But I mean, I'm just hoping all the best for him. And hopefully, you know, there's either something worked out in this loan agreement, or we're going to find you know Scott Hogan somewhere he can go to and flourish. And I I, I just it's sad to say that I think it's really really going to be in the championship. Is he out of contract at the end of the season? I can't remember what he signed. I'm not sure. Something's telling me, though, that he has one more year after this. So you think he signed a four-year? I think he did sign a four-year contract, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, but obviously, yeah, uh, Andre Green and Rashawn Hepburn-Murphy also departed. Uh, Andre was expected to leave, really. You know, he, he might, might have been a rotation option in the Premier League, um, but... Really, uh, with other goings on, you know, if if other things come off that we're, we'll we'll discuss later in the podcast, if other things come off, I think this could potentially be the end of Andre Green's Villa career. 
Yeah, I, w- I was pretty vocal about it last podcast about supporting your own, and I thought Andre Green was going to stick around. It was probably more of me being a fan of the player and a fan of the person more than it was his actual footballing ability. I'll hold my hands up and admit that. Um, this might be the end of Andre Green at Aston Villa. It's it's very possible. Um, he's got he's got a, a press of north end side that's not bad. I mean they're they're not the greatest team in, in the championship, but I mean they're gonna. I, I, you would think that they're they're going to get some kind of use out of Andre Green, with Villa's bankroll now and the players that we're bringing in. We're bringing in players with international acclaim. We're bringing players that we're we're um, beating out other pretty big teams in the Premier League and elsewhere to bring in these players. You know, namely like Trezeguet and players like that. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I think Aston Villa has outgrown someone like Andre Green. And it hurts to say that because, like I said, I really do fancy the player and the person that Andre Green is. But, I mean, do, do you feel that maybe, like, we're just – we've gotten to the point now where he's never going to get any game time here and it's 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 probably better for the player for him to move on for the sake of his career? It's it's another one of those things. I, I'm not entirely sure, just like Scott Hogan, but I think that Andre might be out of contract at the end of this season. Um, I believe he signed an extension um, not – last season the season before so i think it was a, a two-year extension so i think he might be out um in in 2020 um if that's the case you know it, it's up to dean smith you know if he impresses uh at preston then who knows preston might want to bring him back or dean smith might might say right you you know you've grown into the the footballer that we we thought you could be um but the, the I think the I'd say Andre's got a chance, um, but the one for me I, I I think will probably struggle to ever get into a, a an Aston Villa Premier League side, and it's a shame because he's actually our youngest ever Premier League player, uh, Rashawn Hepburn Murphy. Yeah, I I just with with Hepburn Murphy I. It's still just for me, and I've always said this. I've written articles about it, you know, on undergaslitlamp.com and everything. I, his size just, and it's 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 not being mean towards him. It's just his size. He's always just looked so undersized for for what Villa strikers usually are. I think of Villa strikers. I think of John Carew. I think of Benteke, bigger bodied, you know, players that you know have a strength to him. And even during this most recent preseason, I I I, watch, I got to watch it personally of Hepper Murphy just getting bullied off the ball from players that look almost the same size as him. So I don't think that he really has a future with the way that Dean Smith's trying to play football and the way uh, you know the other kind of players are bringing in. I mean, I I actually looked for it for a picture that I can see Hepper and Murphy standing next to Wesley. I couldn't find one, but I was just curious to what that would look like. And again, it's not making a mockery of the man's size. It's not making a mockery of his footballing ability. I do think that he he will have a decent career in football, but in the case of Hepburn Murphy, I just don't feel it was ever going to be at Villa. He doesn't play the way that that we've attempted the player looked like playing, even under the short span and under Dean Smith. I think if he if we were to um, you know keep him around, it wouldn't be as a striker; it'd be as a winger. He's got more of a winger's frame. But um, gone. No, I could I could see him being a winger. I don't I don't know if it if. That's something that he'd be able to adapt to. I mean, it's 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 not unheard of to do that, but I, I just, I don't know. I look at him and you can see the raw potential there and you can see the talent when he does certain things. And then it's like losing almost an unordinary amount of possession when the ball's at his feet. It's almost like he tries to play a hold-up style, but his body frame doesn't scream 
this certain player can play a hold up style of football. So it's it's kind of a strange one for me. I mean, if he would try it as a winger, I'm sure he would be he would be do it really well. I mean, he's he's very very fast. I mean, you could you you've seen him a couple of times. I think it was, it was in the Walsall game. I think it was he was hunting down balls in the final third of the pitch, and he was just lightning fast. You know, crazy amounts of acceleration. But I just I don't know I don't know in, in terms of Hepper and Murphy how how he's gonna break into this Villa team if he if he does get a chance to. Yeah, and we, you know we we spoke about wingers. We've spoke about Hepburn Murphy as potentially a winger and Andre Green. Um, this is probably the best time to bring up someone that we mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, specifically, I mentioned uh, Saeed Ben Rama. Um, he's been heavily linked with a move to Villa Park from Brentford. Um, and I, I stated a couple of podcasts ago that I reckon that he would sign on deadline day. Um, granted, deadline day is in... Well, we're in the last 24 hours as we're recording this. So if he signs within the next 24 hours, then I was right and I will be giving my uh, my ego a very big pat on the back for getting that right. Um, but he's he, you know he's, he's a stellar player and he's, he's someone that a lot of... Uh, a lot of people that are into their analytics and statistics really, really want to see Villa sign. Um, Brentford apparently want £25 million and we're willing to pay 15 We might meet in the middle at 20 Who knows? I would be okay meeting in the middle at 20 I don't think that Villa's going to throw $25 million at them. Um, I still think you need a player that can play central and in the wide areas. Um, not in like a midfield, but like an attacking mid. And uh, Ben Rama can definitely play all around that kind of like front three kind of role. Um, I, cause right now it's just El Ghazi, Trezeguet and, and Yata. And I don't, I'm, it's, those are good players. We've seen what those players can bring so far through preseason. I just think you need one more just to round that out just a little bit. Um, cause one or two injuries would completely derail the wide men and you wouldn't really have much to, you know, substitute in there in case of an injury or suspension, what have you. Uh, but Ben Rama, you're right. I mean, by analytic standpoints and by the opinion of people at Brentford, he, he's a really, really, really good player. And I think that he plays the exact style that Villa fans look for. I think he plays the kind of style that Dean Smith wants to play. Um, obviously, with, you know, Dino has an influence and he might be able to pull this one off, you know, with Suso and everything. But I mean, th- this could be one of those. And I talked about in previous podcasts, I didn't want panic buys, you know, in the last 24 hours till the window closes. I don't think this is a panic buy. I think this has been going on for about a month and a half now. The Dean Smith wanted to bring him in and Brentford's just playing hardball because that's what they do. Um, I'm not saying that Brentford's a selling club, but they've definitely made smart business decisions over the past three to five seasons where they sell players off and they're able to bring youth players in through their system. And it's almost like a seamless transition. They play the same system all the way through, and that's the Dean Smith, you know, that that's what he pretty much instilled at Brentford uh, and definitely, you know, used to his advantage. Um, but Ben Rama would be kind of crazy, it, like his production and everything he brings to the team. And, you know, he's much more than just a YouTube footballer. I saw a lot of people posting his YouTube, you know, videos that are out there and saying, oh, look how great this guy is. But he does small things, too. I mean, like even small little passes, one twos. He's able to beat a player. His dribbles are really, really nice. His really high percentage of successful dribbles last season. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Do do you think I mean, without, you know, you called this basically if it does come off. Do you think that this has like a major change on Aston Villa if he gets into the door? Um, it'll be very similar to the whole uh, Harahan Luis Nakamba deal, where it'll just be rotated depending on who we're playing. Um, there's something I do want to ask you though. 
it just popped into my head while you were talking. Um, how much do you think clubs uh, almost leave transfers until deadline day for the kind of excitement factor? Uh, you know, do you think do you think maybe that a deal could have been struck for a player? You know, two or three weeks ago, and they said, "No, you know, let's let's leave it a little bit. You know, let's see if we can work them down. And if not, we'll just go with what we agreed. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll wait until deadline day. And then, you know, deadline day, you know, people book the day off. I've got the day off tomorrow. Um, you know, to follow it. So it's going to be." You know, it's going to be huge. And for, for a club like Villa to announce, like, you know, a marquee signing or Ben Rama or whatever, you know, it's it's so much more exciting because, oh God, there's six hours left of the transfer window rather than 60. Yeah, I, I can agree with you. That might be a thing that happens, um, especially with the transfer window that Villa have had. Um, kind of all the cards are a little bit falling in place for that to be the case, that they already have a deal for somebody already done and it's just not announced yet. And the two clubs know that it's happening, but they're just keeping tight-lipped about it. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ben Rama gets, or even a player like Ben Rama gets announced tomorrow, and that deal has been done for weeks now, and just nobody knows about it. That's kind of a hard thing to do in the modern era of technology, and you have different in-the-know people, different journalists and agents that you know like to flap their gun, gums to people and, and don't realize exactly who they're talking to or who their audience is. But in the case of Villa, like, I think that would be like the cherry on top of, you know, the Sunday, um, just having a deadline day announcement. It doesn't even have to be anyone massive. I'm not asking for Villa to bring in, you know, Coutinho on loan or anything of that sort. But I think that to bring in a player and just kind of round off this absolutely crazy, hectic summer that we've had would, would be awesome. I think the supporters would really appreciate it. And it would definitely have that sense of excitement going into Saturday against Spurs. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Spurs. Um, you know, it, it's two, three days after the uh, the transfer. It's two days. I don't know why I said three. It's two days after the transfer window. Um, Spurs are trying to bring in some pretty big names. Um, Philip Coutinho has been, an, been well, announced as if. Um, it's been announced that they were interested in Philip Coutinho. Um who has apparently denied a loan move to them. Uh, but also they're looking to bring in uh, Paolo Dybala from Juventus, who was uh, apparently quite close to joining Manchester United in um, a deal for Lukaku, I believe, um, with Juventus. Um, you know, Tottenham haven't been a big spenders over the last couple of years, but you know, with, with Dele Alli and uh, Hyungmin Son potentially, well, both missing the uh, the game against Villa, you know they're they're needing to uh, I guess reinforce certain areas of the pitch. You know they especially as they've lost uh, they they've lost a few players this summer as well. Yeah, and there's just some. It's just a really weird feeling I'm getting out of the Spurs camp, especially over here. Um, Tottenham has a really big support in Pittsburgh for some reason. It's probably the biggest, if not one of the biggest supporters clubs. So that's mostly who I talk to when I, you know, go to pubs and stuff. I'm, I'm talking, you get 25 to 30 Spurs supporters showing up to the pub that we all watch uh, football at. So like just being in contact with them and we've been friends for years now and talking to them, there's actually some Spurs supporters who feel like this may be a little bit of a transitional year and they're worried that that's going to make Harry Kane leave. 
And that's a real thing that they're worried about, especially with Harry Kane coming off his injury he had last season. He had a pretty nasty ankle ligament injury um, toward the latter stages of the season. So, I mean, for me, like, their kind of anxious feelings about going into this season makes me feel happy. And I don't mean to come off like a mean person (laughs) or anything by saying that. But, like, for the first game of the season, it seems like there's so many things happening with Deli Ali and Youngman's son out. And now Harry Kane, like, people aren't very... Um, comfortable with the fact that, you know, he's coming back after being off and they, he's had a great preseason and everything, but there's a lot of worries about that ankle. Um, and also, you know, Christian Erickson is supposed to be, you know, pretty close to a transfer out. And if he's not to a transfer out, is he going to want to play? Is his head going to get turned? He's not going to, you know, leave Spurs and all of a sudden he, do- he doesn't want to play for him or something of that nature. So it, there's a lot of things going on at, at Spurs right now. And it seems like it's, it's kind of the, perfect time for Villa to play them even though it's the first game of the season it just seems like there's a lot of drama going on in that camp right now what do you reckon the score's gonna be uh for me I I've been saying it for about a week now I think it's 3-1 and I think it's either way I I can't really call it um I just feel like this game specifically has a 3-1 scoreline written all over it I think Villa's gonna be hungry to show what they've assembled and Spurs are gonna be trying to impress at home in their first game what about you what do you think I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say there's gonna be controversy, um, and I think it'll be two one. I don't know who to, um, but the team that is losing two one will score an equaliser, and it'll be disallowed through VAR. Uh, you know what? That that kind of drama is gonna be interesting. You know that that's a topic not a lot of people are talking about with Villa coming up to the Prem and how VAR is gonna you know dictate some things. I mean. You got to think, you know, Jack Grealish got fouled a lot in the championship. What happens if he comes up to the Premier League, gets fouled a lot, you know, and, you know, going into the penalty area and, you know, getting chopped down and, you know, VAR taking a penalty away or giving a penalty for him? I mean, that's that's the kind of drama that I don't think a lot of Villa supporters are really prepared for. Yeah, um, but I think I think it'll be some opening day drama and I think it'll involve us because it usually does. Um, the, probably the last thing I do want to discuss in this podcast is... Um, the rumours that have been circulating around uh, the Villa sphere about a, a new striker. Um, journalists are saying Villa are actively pursuing a, a striker before the window shuts. Um, and there's been so many names that have been banded about. Um, but the, the, the rumour is that the, the player is French. Um, and really, you know, there, there's been so much talk of a marquee signing as well. The only real marquee signings that I could think of uh, that are French are um, Wissam Ben Yedda and Olivier Giroud, uh, both who are on the wrong side of thirty, uh, both who will will cost a decent sum in a transfer fee, and both who will cost a decent sum in wages. Um, other than that, um, it's it's been released that um, I can't remember his first name. I think it's Jean Kevin, uh, Jean Kevin Augustin uh, is a secondary option. Um, what what do you think of all these rumors, Mark? You know, how how is it making you feel? Who do you expect to come through the door, if anyone? I'm not sure how much to take stock in the whole thing about a French striker coming in. Um, I'm sure it's out there, and I'm sure Villa's looking for a striker. And I just I don't know. Like, do, do does Villa actually get the best out of Giroud if he comes down from you know from playing at Chelsea? And can we get the wages right? I mean, Ben Yedder, I think, would be would be a better capture than Giroud. That's just my personal opinion about it. Um, but, like, I'm I'm not sure. Like, me and you talked about it, you know, 
before we recorded with uh Drew and everything and you're like, well, you know, he's a target man and you know, he he he's a bigger bodied guy, he'd be able to get balls from the wings and everything like that. And that's true and that's something that really entices me. It it, it whets my appetite a little bit knowing that we have, you know, a big striker like Wesley and we have a hold up guy like Keenan Davis and if we bring in Olivier Giroud, that'd be amazing. And I I think that it, it would work, but it it's all going to have to come down to what, how much it was going to cost the club and then his wages. He's going to have to take a bit of a pay cut coming to Aston Villa from a club like Chelsea because, I mean, let's be honest, everybody at Chelsea is grossly overpaid. I've never seen any contract coming out of Chelsea, maybe some of their youngsters, but other than that, where it's just like, I can't believe that guy's on that much money. So um, I don't know if that's going to work for Villa. I mean, a prime example of that is them awarding uh, Callum hudson Adoy. Uh, a hundred grand a week. Like, could you imagine? Can you imagine us like turning around and giving Callum O'Hare one hundred twenty thousand dollars a week just because he's young and promising? <laughs> like, seriously, think about it. Like, oh man, like I, I literally, I see some of their contracts or things get revealed throughout social media or through different in the know agents or whatever, and it's like they're paying that much. I mean, don't get me wrong, Adoy's probably going to be a really good talent, but a hundred grand a week, like you're having a laugh. Yeah, I mean. Let's wait for Callum O'Hare to uh, break into the England squad. Uh, and, <laughs> right. You know, not get interest from Bayern Munich, and uh, then you know, sign a hundred thousand uh, parent contract, and then you know, we'll, right. we'll be proven wrong, and everyone will be recording uh, this podcast, going back to this podcast, and saying, "Yeah, yeah, you were chatting shit about Callum O'Hare, and look at him now." <laughs> you know what though I'll, I'll hold my hands up and take that one <laughs> I think that is probably the best place to end this week's podcast um, very exciting deadline day tomorrow uh, obviously it uh, remains to be seen whether Villa will be involved or not hopefully they will be um, as always uh, we'd love it if you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts um, give us a star rating give us a text review it's up to you but we would really appreciate it um give us a like a subscription whatever it is on whatever platform you're listening to um follow us on social media at villa lamp on twitter forward slash under a gaslit lamp on facebook at under a gaslit lamp on instagram uh you can keep up to date with all the latest news opinion and everything else aston villa at www.underagaslitlamp.com Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. Up the villa.